a pastor who has been having difficulties with his church accepted the position of a chaplain at a state penitentiary. Just before he preached his farewell sermon at the church, he told the members he was leaving. You don't love me. You haven't paid my salary. You don't love one another. I haven't had a wedding since I've been here. We haven't had a funeral in the church since I've been here. I'm going to be a chaplain at a penitentiary. He cleared his throat and said, Now I preach this morning on a text from John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you. <laughs> After preaching, he announced that the closing hymn would be, Blessed be the tie that binds. Oh, there is a place and a tie that binds the inhabitants of the earth together. The place will be on the entire earth, and the tie will be the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments during the tribulation. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 6. And as you're turning there, let me ask you this focus question. Can any unbeliever escape God's wrath? Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as the scroll when it rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Let's talk to the text author. Father, I, I thank you for what we have studied in the book of Revelation, that we have come to understand and appreciate the threefold outline, looking at the past, the present, and then now even into the future, beginning with Revelation chapter 4. And as we move through the seal judgments, help us to understand the wrath of the Father and Son alike. And that there is only one way to escape that wrath. I pray that you would open up many hearts, many hearts to the truth that we are about to study today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning in verse 12, I look when he opened the sixth seal. John sees the Lord Jesus. He's the lamb opening the sixth seal. Now I'd like to point out to you the first five seal judgments were different. The first five dealt with human decisions, war, famine, death, and the martyrdom of the saints. Here, a holy God is judging a blasphemous world and the people clearly understand who is doing the judging. We see that from chapter 6 down in verse 16. Now there are six catastrophic, and I really want to emphasize that word catastrophic events are involved in this judgment. 
The first, a great earthquake. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Uh, Sadly, and unfortunately, uh, some commentators, both past and present, do not see these judgments as literal. Uh, Many, many years ago, uh, I was uh, introduced to commentaries. Uh, The first set of uh, commentaries that I read through uh, came from Harry Ironside, great man of God. Uh, But unfortunately, this is what he wrote concerning the earthquake. It is therefore not a worldwide literal earthquake that the sixth seal introduces, but rather the destruction of the present order, political, social, and ecclesiastical, reduced to chaos, the breaking down of all authority, and the breaking up of all established and apparently permanent institutions. Instead of uh, Harry Ironside taking this to be a literal shaking, uh, he uses figurative language to describe what has taken place here. But I'd like to point out to you, Jesus himself spoke of literal earthquakes that would occur during this period of time. Uh, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, uh, we're looking at the Olivet Discourse. Jesus gives his teaching from the Mount of Olives uh, pertaining to the last days, looking at specifically the period of the tribulation. Now down in verse 7, and then we'll come down to verse 8. Jesus says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, notice carefully, and earthquakes in various places. Jesus speaks about literal earthquakes. And I want you to observe now in verse 8, all these are the beginning of of sorrows. In other words, these earthquakes, even described in Revelation chapter 6, they are a singular earthquake, but is that the commencement, the beginning of the tribulation period in the first half of the tribulation. Now, the Greek word for earthquake, let me give it to you and see if you can come up with an English correspondent, seismos, seismos. Uh, we would think of seismology, uh, the study of earthquakes. And it literally means a shaking. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 24, it's used of a storm on the sea, <laughs> a shaking of the sea, if you will. Thomas writes, the English word earthquake is not quite adequate to describe this seal because the heavens are shaken along with the seas and the dry land. Bullinger suggests the word convulsions, uh, showing the the strength of the shaking that, if you will, rocks the heavens, the earth, and even the seas. Let's transition together now to the second devastating event. The sun is darkened. Observe John writes, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. Observe here the word as. See, the sun does not become a sackcloth of hair, but there is a description that is given here. Although the sun literally becomes black in color, 
the description is that of sackcloth of hair, and it could perhaps be describing mourning. Mourning. If you will, although there's a literal darkening, the, the heavens, the sky, the sun is in mourning. Uh, listen to Isaiah chapter 50 uh, in verse And this uh, here uh, describes Israel's disobedience to the obedient Messiah. It's a prediction. Isaiah 53. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth. See the idea here, a covering for those mourning, their covering. So do the heavens, if you will, mourn? the inhabitants of the earth's disobedience. Again, a literal darkening, but I wonder if it's communicating how the sun itself is in mourning over the disobedience of those on the earth. And now for our third disaster. The moon is reddened. Uh, It needs its visine, if you will, to get the red out. It says, and the moon became, and see the word, like blood. The majority text says it's uh, the whole moon. Hey, selene, ha, le. The whole moon. The word like here, um, host, was translated as as earlier in this verse. There will be a total eclipse of the moon and it will look red because of the atmospheric conditions. Now for the fourth calamity, down in verse 13. Observe a meteor shower will occur. The text says, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth. Today what we call a falling star is actually a meteor. Uh, this is probably a reference to meteors since the stars are intact even until the fourth trumpet judgment. Look over with me, please. Flip the page, chapter 8, down to verse 12. Revelation chapter 8, verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. So if a third of the stars are struck, it seems like they are intact up to this point. So I think it's appropriate um, back here in chapter 6 to see this as a meteor shower occurring. Um, Can you begin to sense the cumulative effect? Because the stellar bodies are rocked, what will that do? to the inhabitants of the earth when the sun is damaged, when the moon that affects the tides is damaged, and the stars themselves. The description continues here about the meteors falling as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Again, this is caused by the earthquake. Uh, There will be more earthquakes, by the way, In the tribulation, flip over to chapter 8 with me. Let your eyes come down to verse 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Now over to chapter 11. 
and in chapter 11, down in verse 13. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. Stay with me in chapter 11 of Revelation. Now over to verse 19, 11, 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. And then finally over to chapter 16, as you're moving toward the end of the tribulation. Revelation 16, down in verse 18. And there were noises, and thunderings, and lightnings, and there was a great, observe the word great, earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake it has not been occurred since men were on the earth. Not only will you have more earthquakes, the sun will be impacted multiple times, but also the moon as we see in chapter 8 in verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. So I'm going to just throw in here the stars as well, uh, being impacted again. Once again, please consider the totality of all these judgments upon the inhabitants of the earth. Now, back with me to chapter 6, verse 14, and we have the fifth major affliction. There is a temporal opening where in heaven then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up the word receded here means to be split apart to separate Uh, it's used of Barnabas and Paul when they had a disagreement about whom would go with them on their various mission journeys And it says in chapter 15 in verse 39 that they had a separation. That's the word that is used. But literally here, the heaven was split apart. And you might ask why. Well, in Revelation 16, 6, notice the inhabitants of the earth cry out, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They have great fear. They are getting the picture that it is the Almighty who is displeased with them and that the wrath of the Lamb is striking them. Now as we come down to the sixth blow, observe here, every mountain, think about the implications, and island will be moved. That's what it says. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Again, this is the result of the earthquake in chapter 6 in verse 12. The mountains and islands will also be impacted during the seventh trumpet judgment. You start to see why Jesus says, unless these days were shortened. In other words, uh, if the tribulation lasted longer than seven years, nobody would survive. But over here in chapter 16, Revelation 16, Verse 20, then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Imagine going to Colorado and looking for Pikes Peak at 14,110 feet, gone. 
or the beautiful mountains in North Carolina or Tennessee or you pick your spot (laughs) and they're just gone. That is what is going to happen according to the book of Revelation. And as we come back to chapter 6, down to verse 15, observe that the six catastrophic events produce this result, verse 15. And I want you to observe the sevenfold classification of the inhabitants of the earth. In other words, nobody is going to escape the wrath of the Father and Son. But the number seven, showing completion or perfection, the entire earth will be dealt with at this time. So first we have the kings of the earth. Even the heads of state will be impacted. I mean, you think of the global poverty we have now. And nations like the United States that are generous send aid. Well, where does probably a good portion of that aid go? To the heads of state. Uh, They seem to always take good care of themselves. So here the kings of the earth are impacted. Notice number two, the great men. The high-ranking officials of government and others. And number three, you have the rich men. Those who controlled commerce. Those who were there at Wall Street in charge of the finances, if you will, of our country and those from around the world. So you have the rich men. They're not going to escape the judgment. Kind of see why Jesus says, what shall a profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Then you have the commanders, those who command a thousand men. You're important. If you have a thousand individuals that you are telling what to do, even the commanders will not escape the wrath. And in the mighty men, men of strength and influence, whether bodily, you know, the strong men physically, or that have great influence. And then as you come down to six and seven, the final two are those even on the lower rungs of society. Every slave, see, the people of least importance, at least from this world's perspective, Every free man. Notice no one is going to escape the wrath to come. And what do these seven classifications of people do? Hid themselves where? In the caves and the rocks of the mountains. See, the earth dwellers turn to Mother Earth, that they, by the way, worship, and say, protect us, hide us from the Father and son and in verse 16 we see their reasoning and they said to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb the emphasis in verses 15 and 16 is to hide although these people would rather die than face the wrath of god and the lamb at this point They want to be hidden. They don't want to have to look up and to see the wrath of father and son alike. Now, down in verse 17, observe the word for. Hati, which speaks of the cause. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? That's a great question. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? And chapter 7, 
Lord willing, which we will get to next week, tells us who is able to stand at this time. Let's go back to our focus question. Can any unbeliever escape God's wrath? The clear and obvious answer is a resounding no. Let me share the main point with you from Revelation 6, 12 through 17. Believe on Jesus to escape God's wrath. That's the only way anyone can escape the wrath of the Father and Son. Believe on Jesus. See, his finished work to escape God's wrath. Let's uh, take a look at a few passages to think about the provision that the Lamb had made through his death. 1 John chapter 2. If you would turn with me there. 1 John chapter 2. I am moved greatly by John's love for the saints. Do you remember John, James and John, the sons of thunder? (laughs) Even going through Samaria, they don't repent. Lord, can we call down fire from heaven and get them? Later, John would become known as the apostle of love. And in 1 John chapter 2, my little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. See, abide in God and don't sin. And if anyone sins, notice he includes himself here, we have an advocate, see somebody who is standing there for us with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You could add one. He's the righteous one, verse two. And he himself. See, in the Old Testament, when the high priest would offer a sacrifice for the nation on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, He would first offer one for himself and then for the sin of the people. But not so with Jesus Christ. He was the sinless son of God. He did not need to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. He becomes the sacrifice. And it says so very powerfully, and he himself is the propitiation See, to satisfy the wrath of God. Remember that wrath from noon to three, the darkness that hovered over the land, signifying the wrath of the Father that was going to be placed upon the Son. He himself is a propitiation for our sins, as John writes to believers, but observe the words, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world so much debate today for whom did jesus die and when the plain sense of scripture makes perfect sense seek no other sense he is the sacrifice for the sin of the world so for anyone to escape the wrath of god can be done by believing on the lord jesus christ and his sacrifice Now we're in 1 John, come over to chapter 4. We have so many today doing exegetical gymnastics, changing words, reading their philosophy into the Scripture, which is a dangerous thing to do. It's not exegesis. It's not letting the Scriptures and working out the Scriptures. It's eisegesis, reading their particular worldview into the Scripture, which I would present is a dangerous thing to do. 
1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us. Again, writing to believers. See the us? That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we, see, he's writing to believers, might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Martin Luther has written, God is not hostile to sinners, but only to unbelievers. It's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of a living God, to ignore the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is so very dangerous. We have been now looking at 1 John. Now turn to the gospel of John. John chapter 3 with me please. John chapter 3. When you think of the wrath of God, you need to think of the tribulation wrath. Revelation 6 through 19. But there's also an eternal wrath, an eternal damnation on all those who reject Jesus Christ. We need to understand that. See, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting Life. But there is a danger in ignoring the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Look at John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. See, for the individual who puts faith in Jesus Christ, he escapes the wrath of God because Jesus took that penalty upon himself. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Right now, the unbeliever has hovering on his life, on her life, the wrath of God. But Jesus satisfied the demand of a just and holy God by taking upon himself the sin of the world. And it's through him, the one who knew no sin, who became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I love the gospel of John. I like 1 John so very much. And in John chapter 16, there's such a profound teaching. You see, Jesus knew he needed to go away. He needed to finish his work, ascend to the right hand of the Father, sit down, because the work was done. There he would remain as our mediator, our intercessor, Hebrews 7.25 says he ever lives to make intercession for us. And over in John chapter 16, and you have to keep in mind, John's gospel is specifically written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing on him, that is how we have the gift of eternal life. So in John chapter 16, uh, come down to verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And you have to remember, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. We have a lot of movements today whereby the emphasis is totally upon the Holy Spirit of God. 
any genuine revival, any genuine revival has people pointed to Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is sort of the silent partner of the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in John 15, 26, Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, He will testify of me. So what is the ministry of the Spirit? Verse 7, John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Do you understand that the Spirit of God has a universal role? And this is what he does. And it gets very specific here, does Jesus? Look at verse 9. Of sin. See, missing the mark. Why? Because they do not believe in me. So where does repentance come into the equation? It's simple. And by the way, it's very intriguing that John doesn't use the word repentance in this 21-chaptered book. But when you truly believe in Jesus, you have to be changing your mind about who he is. If you have not believed that he is the eternal Son of God, the one who died for your sin and was raised from the dead, then you need to repent. You need to change your mind on that thinking and turn solely to him. Because the sin that the Spirit of God specifically convicts the world of here, of sin because they do not believe in me, is unbelief. Because unbelief is the one sin that God cannot and will not forgive. It's in faith in Christ that one is truly born again. So what's our main point? Believe on Jesus to escape God's wrath. Alvina M. Hall sums up our biblical teaching today on the topic well. She has penned to him, Jesus Paid it all. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus has paid the price he paid it all and by turning to him putting your faith in his finished work knowing in your heart of hearts that he died for your sin to satisfy the wrath of God and believing that he conquered death to offer you eternal life receive the gift be born again let's pray Father, what a powerful text. Thinking about these six catastrophic events that will take place, literally, during the tribulation. Help us to start to understand about the wrath of father and son alike 
And Lord, I pray for those that are hearing the message today and those who are being challenged by this text, that they would bow before Jesus Christ and the Father. That they would go to Christ in faith, believing in his finished work in order to escape the wrath to come. Thank you, Father. I know your word never returns void. Do great things through it because it is your eternal word. And Father, when the heavens and the earth are gone, I thank you that your word will remain. I give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.